1: i'm patience adamu
0: and i'm curtis vermont and this is the drip
1: a podcast for diverse millennials to help make sense of covid19 and the decisions made by our political leaders
0: stay tuned as we parse through the weekly events and announcements that impact us shall we
1: let's do it We're back with another week of COVID-19 news. Let's get started with health. Curtis, what's going on with our health?
0: Shout out to Jagmeet Singh, who's making full use of this minority parliament and his role within it to advocate for those who are more vulnerable during this time. Jagmeet's pushing the government to start collecting race-based data to make policy changes that'll start to turn the tide on what the UN has called the deplorable treatment of African Canadians.
1: Let's be absolutely clear right off the bat, guys, this is needed.
0: Yep, and here's why. Across Canada, the UN report found disproportionately high unemployment rates for Black Canadians. That's a whole lot of precarious work, which, by the way, I'm used to at this point, and a whole lot of low-paid work, which I'm sure many are used to at this point, and worse health outcomes, where people in Black communities are less likely to access healthcare services and more likely to suffer from chronic health conditions. The UN is saying that if we had mandatory nationwide data collection, as Jagmeet Singh is proposing, it could help us address the disparities Black Canadians face.
1: So if we know all of that, why isn't it happening?
0: Honestly, that's unclear to me, because in fact, race-based data is collected through census every five years. It isn't cleaned or made ready for use, though. As Arjman Siddiqui, who was the Canada Research Chair in Population Health Equity, puts it, The difference between the data available in the U.S. and Canada is night and day, and without it, it's hard to hold governments to account. For the government's part, the Liberals have funded a new Center for Gender Diversity and Inclusion Statistics within StatsCan as of 2018, and it seems to be working on these issues as we speak. But Trudeau has also acknowledged himself that collecting that information widely in Canada is an uphill battle, given that we don't even have the age data for a large proportion of people diagnosed with COVID-19. So I get that, but we need to try harder because as Jagmeet rightly pointed out, we've made concrete advances on carding, for example, in Ontario, because of data that showed us just how bad it was. So we need the data here if we're truly going to spur change as well.
1: Yep, so Prime Minister, Minister Baines, Minister Hussein, Minister Chagar, I hope you're listening.
0: Mm -hmm. On some audible, somehow... Hospitals failed to flag 700 positive COVID-19 cases to Ontario's public health units. Nuts! <laughs> like uh, the mix-up means thousands of contacts of confirmed cases were not traced for weeks, and that means you could be at this point one of 700 people who were out in public, though you should have been self-isolating.
1: But I, I don't get it. How how did it happen?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know my. First, I was going to jump to say incompetence, but we also have to remember that our health staff are under massive pressure. They are tired. They are overworked. And basically what happened is the two hospitals involved thought that it was the other guy's responsibility to pass the data on.
1: Do we know where? Is there a specific area affected?
0: The cases are in Toronto, Peel, and York Public Health jurisdictions, and the majority of tests came from William Osler Health Systems drive Through Assessment Centre at Etobicoke General Hospital. The test samples, by the way, were processed by the lab at Mount Sinai Hospital.
1: So have those 700 people been contacted yet?
0: Well, Ontario's Health Minister Christine Elliott's office says, many of the positive test res- results have now been added to Ontario's public health database, but about 430 will be added to the, count, to the count rather, in the coming days. And that was announced on Monday. So I'm assuming that by now, being Sunday, the problem's fixed, right? They also added, all parties are working to ensure this situation does not happen again. When it comes to case counts, Ontario and Quebec account for more than 90% of national COVID-19 cases. And in fact, most of those cases are in Toronto and Montreal we could see as many as between 97,990 cases to 107,454 cases by June
1: 15th. It's just, that, that's, that's crazy. It's crazy to think that all of it happened here. But also, I guess it's really good because one of the things we have talked about on this podcast before is that we have pretty sophisticated hospitals in Montreal and in Toronto, -hmm. And if the outbreaks were to happen outside of the the core and away from these super sophisticated hospitals, um, would people have survived? Would we have had a a mortality rate that is as low as it is? Mm -hmm. Um, So I I guess that's that's really that's that's not not really good news, but it's um, it's it's fortunate in comparison to the alternatives.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Now, as we know, we have a deplorable. Absolutely deplorable long-term care home situation in this country, and especially in this province. I found it interesting. I was reading about this from the Globe and Mail, and their editorial board is encouraging the federal government to move long-term care home administration under the Canada Health Act. They're saying, quote, better funding for long-term care to allow for more and better staffing, training, and facilities makes sense. So does tough regulation and inspections. We're less sure about nationalizing all LTC facilities, though. There have been deaths in homes, and this is the rationale. There have been deaths in homes run by large for-profit companies, non-for-profit groups, and governments. They've happened in small towns and in cities. Companies with multiple homes have had outbreaks in one home, but not in others. So I'm wondering how you feel about the globe's perspective on this, considering that they are the pretty much preeminent media group in this country they're fairly centrist to center right. It's interesting that they're pointing this out. What do
1: you think? Here's what I think. This may not be a popular opinion. I see this as boomers trying to set themselves up, okay? (laughs) Clean up the long-term care centers before I turn 80 years old and have to be put in one of those disgusting boxes. And there's nothing wrong with, with that. There's nothing wrong with Obviously, wanting to to clear them up and hold them to the highest standard, which is the Canada Health Act. But what have you been waiting for? Yeah. COVID nineteen, Curtis, I'm sure people were were still, you know, getting h- sick at higher rates and dying at higher rates because that's what happens when you live in a shit box. <laughs> What do you think,
0: Curtis? I agree in the sense that, you know, you said, what, what have we been waiting for? And I guess that applies to me too, you know, because I, I, I knew about the situation of long-term care Homes, because quite frankly, even the Ontario Liberal Party, which wasn't government in Ontario before ducked for it. the problem was there then. We were doing inspections, but quite frankly, we weren't doing anything to actually fix the problem. So I think it was just a question of, it just wasn't high enough on most people's radar. Mm -hmm. And now that it is, yeah, we are going to take some serious steps. And and guess what? 66% of Canadians believe that long-term care should be brought under the Canada Health Act. And by the way, that was an Angus Reid poll, and I used to work there. So I know that Angus Reid's pool of respondents for polls. They are very old, very white, very conservative. So the point I'm making is if 66% of that pool says that, then it's probably more like 70 to 80% who think that, LTCs should be brought under the Health Canada Act. It's very interesting. So I hope it does happen.
1: So Curtis, like what's going on with the decision makers right now?
0: Well, uh, we've got the state of emergency in Ontario that's been pushed back until June 30th. And by the way, guys, this is what allows the Ontario government to issue emergency orders like physically distancing. So as a result, orders like banning people from dining in bars and restaurants and gathering in groups larger than five are still a go. However, Ontario is creating a plan so we don't miss out on patio season. Earlier this week, Ford said that the COVID-19 command table is currently looking at whether to reopen restaurant patios in Ontario, and that they'll make those health decisions within the week. So that's this. That's this week. That means I might be able to go to Tropical Nights. <laughs> I miss you, Tropical Nights. I miss. I miss lining on the patio. I really do miss you. <laughs>
1: If the plan is six, six feet of distance, two meters of distance and, you know, rearrange the seating and all that stuff. And, and it reduces the patios from being able to accommodate 20 people or 40 people to only being accommodate uh, a quarter of that. I, I wonder what that does to the restaurants and also to like the vibe that we get vibe. in Toronto, yeah. man.
0: You're right. But you know what? I guess it's, it's better to be able to sit on a patio and have some drinks in this way than not at all.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So in terms of, of, of the dollar-dollar bills, what's going on, Curtis, with the dollar-dollar bills? Yo,
0: cities need money, y'all. Back in April, Toronto and other cities had asked the provinces and the federal government for $10 billion. That's $7.6 billion to cover operating losses and a further $2.4 billion for losses related to transit alone. Toronto alone may have a shortfall of about $1.5 billion this year. So Prime Minister Trudeau responded with $14 billion, saying that the money for cities is there so long as they work with him on making sure the recovery works for more Canadians. This money also includes the 10 paid sick days for workers that Jagmeet secured for everybody. Also gear for PPE, money for childcare facilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, he wants all Canadians to have access to the same protections. Quote, Canadians have sacrificed too much over the past couple of months to lose the progress we've made. End quote. I agree.
1: So how was the news received?
0: Well, here's some feedback. Quebec's premier, for example, is saying that, yeah, they, they definitely want the money, but they don't want any strings attached. Quebec, you're, you guys are interesting. Doug Ford is saying this is a good start, but he's also pointing out that Ontario needs $23 billion alone. Now, fundamentally, honestly, it's like, okay, well, Ontario can raise taxes if it needs to, so why don't you just do that? Um, John Tory is pleased, but he needs more details on what TO will actually get from the deal. But Bill Carson, who's the president for the Federation of Canadian Mu- Municipalities, which represents cities, said the new money was the quote, clearest commitment yet, end quote, from Trudeau, and that quote, this is real progress, end quote. So this money would mean the feds increase transfers to the provinces by 17% this year alone. That's great.
1: This is great, but in order for the feds to increase transfers by 17% this year that also means that income taxes will like is there that much money being generated from income taxes to do that I'm not sure if everybody understands how taxes are generated but income taxes go to the feds property taxes go to to the municipalities sales tax is provincial I don't know what gas taxes are they're federal the gas tax is federal yeah yeah so in terms of in terms of the levers that the feds have to pull in order to generate this money for the provinces it's income tax and it's the gas tax and I don't want anyone to get scared or anything but Canada does generate quite a bit of money from incoming migrations so when you're applying to come into Canada you pay quite a bit of money and and a little bit of that money is also kind of in the the money generating machine of of Canada and people aren't coming. yeah (laughs) and people are not coming here. So I, I think we we have to be prepared, those of us who are working, for a, a bit of a surprise when it comes to how income taxes will be collected and um, perhaps an increase in the percentage of income taxes that are collected by the, the government.
0: You know, I, I do think that what's what's what we're going to see happen is um, just fundamentally there's going to be more taxes for those who are rich and um, for those who are in the middle class <clears throat> and those who are um, as Trudeau's government will say, working hard to join it, um, will be the ones that uh, are spared from the increases in taxation. Because that is, that is also the movement the world over, except for obviously key places like the United States. But most countries are moving to this, this position where, um, you know, they're realizing even because of the IMF, the World Bank, that, yeah, taxation has to be higher on those who have the capacity to sustain it. And and those who don't, they need to be given more freedom to spend freely. And that's what sustains an economy. The other thing is that, you know, we can remember that COVID's not going to be here forever. So within a year, essentially, when a vaccine is produced and used, um, we'll, we'll be back to normal. I, 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 at least that's the hope. And so it's not like our economy isn't going to bounce back. It is. It's, it's pretty much on deep freeze. So I think it's just a matter of hitting that go button when the time is right.
1: I love the optimism. Curtis, that's why we work well
0: together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this is more news for those with disabilities. And if you know anybody with disabilities, please make sure that they're aware of this. The federal government is introducing a $548 million program to send checks to Canadians with disabilities for between $100 and $600. Uh, Seniors with disabilities who receive the old age security pension and the guaranteed income supplement will get $100. Seniors who receive the OAS will get $300, and others with a valid disability tax credit certificate will get $600, including parents of children with disabilities. Seniors with disabilities will receive a total of $600 because all seniors on the OAS and GIS are getting top-ups of $300 and $500 separately.
1: I think that that's a that's an excellent lever to, to pull at this point. We really can't afford to forget folks who d- do have different abilities and will probably need a little bit more money to make their their ends meet at this time. So I think w- when we give money to, to groups like this, it does kind of get funnels back into the economy and always does. Yeah, things work out better for, for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's good that we're seeing this move. So, patients, since you love taking flights, tell us what's happening in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, honestly, I thought that the coronavirus was kind of fizzling out, at least the first phase, but India reported almost 10,000, so 9,971 new coronavirus cases on Sunday, in wow. another biggest single-day spike. And this is a day before it plans to reopen or a a day before it prepares to reopen shopping malls, hotels, and religious places after a 10 week lockdown. Mm -hmm. So India has now surpassed Spain as the fifth hardest hit country with 246,628 confirmed cases of the coronavirus, including really, really unfortunately, 6,929 deaths and also in 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 different news so we're seeing India you know have a 10-week lockdown and, and still emerge with with really really high numbers but you know unlike most countries Curtis I'm not sure if you know but Sweden never locked down during the coronavirus pandemic it largely kept businesses operating and and the but but for some reason the economy appears to be taking a hard hit nonetheless.
0: I guess this means that even if you don't shut down and the rest of the world does, you're still screwed.
1: I I mean, I guess so. Because, you know, Sweden is paying the same price as Denmark did for the coronavirus pandemic. The explanation is that, I guess, when you're in a galloping crisis, no matter what you do as a government, if you're in the midst of a crisis, consumers pull the emergency brake whether restaurants are closed or not. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, Sweden is suffering. I I wanted to share this story because I think a lot of us, me in particular, (laughs) blamed (laughs) governments for locking everything down and said that it would have a really significant impact on the economy, but we are really one global economy. So if people are not trading and if things are happening outside of your borders, it will still affect your country's economy.
0: That's exactly right. And by the way, Sweden is nowhere close to Canada in terms of its reliance on trade. We in Canada here are a trading nation. So just to put into perspective, uh, last week, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Prime Minister Andrew Holness in Jamaica, they convened a, a UN group to talk about how um, a, this called a Group of Friends uh, Summit can help countries, developing countries, particularly in the Caribbean. Uh, to address COVID-19 as well as climate change, and one of the reasons why Canada stated it is doing this—I mean, for one, it's because we're going after a Security Council seat, but the other one is because, look, Canada trades so much. For example, with Caricom, which is uh, the Caribbean region of countries, um, so if they aren't doing well, then we can't do well either because they can't buy our goods. Mm-hmm. So we have to help them. We have to help them get them back on the feet, and that's what the. Uh, that basically ties back to what you were just saying about Sweden.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're all going through this together where this is truly a global pandemic and truly a global economic crisis.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's remember that. Quiet.
1: (laughs) So Curtis, do we have any questions to ask the audience this week?
0: We do. The question is very simple. Did you know there was a GoFundMe campaign to support Regis Korchinski-Packett's family in their time of need? There is. So let's do it. We've included the GoFundMe URL in our feed to donate to her family. Although we'll never be able to take away her family's grief, at least there'll be some financial relief to soothe their troubled minds.
1: Regis's family currently lives in Toronto Community Housing, and access to justice is expensive? Yes. So like, that, that's the, the connection that I've been making and that's why I donated is because like, to pay that, that man to be their lawyer, I'm sure, yeah. is really, really expensive. And if you're already on a subsidized or a like, if you're mm-hmm. already on an RGI, which most of Toronto community housing is, mm-hmm. then like to then start to think about paying lawyer fees is just, it, it makes justice inaccessible.
0: Yep. So that's why we need support, guys. Yeah. Go there if you can, please. Today and all days, Black Lives Matter. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to
1: date. Remember, we're all in this together, and this forum is meant to be a sort of safe space to foster community. So slide in our DMs with any questions or feedback you have, and we promise to respond. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Patience PatienceEve.
0: And I'm on Instagram at State of Vermont. See you next time.
1: You know, it's getting pretty wild out there. We've heard about shootings and other instances of violence all across the Greater Toronto area. And we're urging people to please stay home. And if you can't, please continue to be vigilant and stay safe.
0: We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante, that's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues